Welcome to the journey of an esthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Is this Frank Cologne? Yes. Frank Cologne, it's Mitch Hampton from the podcast, Journey of an Esthete. Hello, Mitch. How are you? I'm happy that I've got you on the on the on this on our show. You're I'm excited about this episode. Um well, thank you for inviting me, really. I mean, generally in these kind of kind of shows, I do a little introduction. I won't go on for too long. Um, okay. I'd like to say the reason why you're on, I think, is because you contacted me. Right, because I left a message on a um, Tanya Maria concert on my YouTube channel. On right, YouTube that's, channel. That's right. And I was very, I was very, of course, I love that concert and that music, and I've been a fan of hers for thirty years. Um, uh, wonderful, me too. As a, I'm a pianist and composer, and she's a, one of my influences. And out of the blue, you thanked me for my comment, and I contacted you, and I said, you know, you're a master percussionist, and you've been doing the art of percussion for some time now, a long time. And, and you're one of the greats. And I thought, why not have you on the show to talk about music and talk about, you know, your, your career. And, and, and I thought that this is a wonderful opportunity. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm thrilled to be talking to you now. And, uh, you know what it was is, uh, for some reason, um, uh, a few of my messages on that YouTube channel had been, uh, overlooked and uh, as i was sifting through i found yours so i said oh man you know let me, let me get back to this man even though it's been a while you know it had been a minute you know i just you know reached yeah. out back to you since you took the time to you know to leave a comment and it was a sweet one at that so yeah so that's how this all got you know got rolling 
I mean, yeah, I love the comment because I, first of all, that music is incredible. And, you know, I don't know, you know, I sort of in a way almost grew up listening to her and to Jorge Dalto and, and Willie Colon. And, wow. and sure. that's music that I really loved and Ayerto. And I've discovered just looking at your resume that you play with everybody. You play with Harry Belafonte and Manhattan Transfer and just, just such a, um, such a diversity of musical styles. And yeah, I've been around for a while, you know, since the mid-70s. You know? Yeah, and so I thought on our show, typically what we do is a personal bio or a linear chronology, and you talk about how you came to be this percussionist and how you learned all these instruments, and, and uh, starting from the beginning, if you don't mind. No, that sounds cool. You know, it was a roundabout road, to put it mildly. I mean, um uh, oh, you know, run it down really quick. I was born in the States, but uh, from uh, my descent is Latin because my parents and uh, everybody, you know, behind them, my hierarchy is like from uh, the Caribbean. Yep. I mean, you, you know, my roots can be traced back to the Iberian Peninsula for sure. Wow. As well as Italy. Yeah. But um, yeah, so here's the thing. After World War II, which my father participated in, as a, a uh, intelligence specialist uh, based in Panama. That's amazing. After that, yeah, isn't it? I mean, you know, those are other times, you know? Yeah. After that, he got this grant from the U.S. government. It was, I think it was called the GI Bill, mm -hmm. where all the veterans could go and uh, pursue further study, university studies, you know, and uh, the government would, you know, foot the bills. Mm-hmm. So my father took uh, advantage of that, and uh, you know, instead of he went to you know Panama, Puerto Rico, and then Puerto Rico to the states, and he went to Washington D.C. Wow. And it was during this course of study that I happened to be born in the states. So it was just yeah. by sheer luck that I was born in the states. And then uh, when he finishes uh, his uh, you know his degree, he took the family back to Puerto Rico, and so I was raised on the island of Puerto Rico. Yes. So. Yeah, so I there's where my heavy infusion of the Latin thing, you know, I mean, it's, it's right in the blood, you know? Uh, yes, and that's why the music's so good. <laughs> I mean, if you don't mind, at the, at the, when I edit the show, when we go to, go to air, I'm going to open up with that cut of you and, and her trading, for, trading uh, um, because that's an incredible, um, on the song Uzina. Uzina. Oh, Uzina, yeah. Uzina, and I'm going to, yeah. because I think the audience and listener will hear what you're doing with her is is like uh, any gra greatest bebop, you know, just rhythmically. And, and you could talk a little bit about yes. what that instrument is and everything if you want to. But I don't want to get too far ahead. But um, so you so you're at some point you got interested in percussion at some point in music. And I'm wondering. Yeah, you know, it, it, at some point, you know, it's something that, that is almost like unexplainable because, first of all, I'm to my knowledge, and still today, like the first and only musician in my family, you know? Huh. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody with uh, some, you know, Latin blood in them, I mean, everybody likes music and dances, I mean, everybody's got some sort of rhythm, I mean, but nobody really, like, pursued it, not even, like, uh, you know, for fun, you know, amateurly, you know, you know, amateurishly, <laughs> I mean, it's like, um, so nobody knows where this came from, you know? <laughs> you're the, you're the, um, uh, I'm, I'm like the first, and I would ask myself, well, maybe I was adopted or something, or maybe it was like, uh, you know, a product of uh, 1950s uh, experimentation with gene pools or something, sure. <laughs> you know. Uh, um, but, you know, then again, 
the percussion was always, uh, I always wanted to play drums. Here's the thing. Uh, you know, I, I just always wanted to play drums. And when, you know, my ear turned towards, you know, towards the Latin thing, it was, I was looking at Tito Puente and people like that, you know, on, on television, you know? Oh, wow. So you were watching yeah. those artists, you had access to seeing them, their excellence on the TV. And you said, I want, I want to do that. I want to be, you know, be and do that. Yeah, you know, in, in, when I was a kid and and coming up in Puerto Rico, um, at noon there was a show that was called, you know, it's like the noontime show, a show del mediodía, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and within the show it was like a variety thing, you know, and uh, it was basically like designed for people who were having lunch and watching TV. If you can picture this back in the mid '60s, you know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, you know, and they always had these bad cats on. I mean, they had like Ray Barreto's band and oh, Tito Puente was like a, a fixture, you know, around this time. And there's another band uh, called uh, El Gran Combo de Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. I mean, they, they were like, yeah, they were like in your face and, you know, in your living room every day at noon. You know, and you saw all this excellence and you saw them working out new things, you know, and yeah, trying to like... Uh, compositions, new material and... Yeah, yeah, right, right there. And trying to launch new fads, you know, and yeah. in terms even like of clothing and dance, sure. you know, new dance phrases, you know? Yeah. yeah, and this is, you know, like when uh, Miriam Makiba came out with Pata Pata, mm-hmm. there was a version that came out in Puerto Rico and there was a dance like immediately attached to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, for like the rest of the year, people dance salsa in this way, you know? Interesting. <laughs> so, so, but then again, you know, when I came home with the idea of uh, becoming a drummer, you know, yeah, acquiring knowledge in drums and percussion. I mean, mm-hmm. See, my parents, uh, they came from humble beginnings and, uh, you know, my, my father drew uh, federal grants from the United States government, uh, you know, as a veteran. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. You know, managed to, you know, raise himself, you know, in terms of education and therefore in terms of his position in society and whatnot. And he encouraged my mother, my mother to go back to school. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, these are people who are aspiring to, you know, to the better things in life, you know, and to acquire a certain a higher degree of culture, you know, in, sure. in their minds and, you know, in their concepts. So, um, they, you know, they my idea of becoming a drummer did not fly at home at all. Oh, yeah. It was like, yeah, you know, no way, you know, we, we will not promote this. You know, this is like a passing fad. You know, it must be a passing fad for Frank. I mean, you know, but. But, you know, on a deeper level, you know, it was like, no, 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 there's no way you're going to, like, you know, start playing this savage kind of, you know, marginal, you know, mm. you know, kind of instruments, you know. If you want, hey, if you want to enrich your life with culture, well, you know, why don't you play the violin? Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, that's a great idea. You will play the violin. Uh-huh. And I said, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I want music, but it, it ain't about that, you know. Right. Hold on a second. You know, so... We settled on piano, and my first uh, my first musical lessons were basically classical piano. That was the compromise between us. Interesting. Yeah, so that was my entry into music music lessons, as per se, you know, formal music lessons. But yeah, and my father, like, he watched over the the, the hour a day that I must, you know, I had to practice because sure, he was paying. Sure. I think it was three dollars and fifty cents an hour yeah. at the time for a lesson. And uh, he, you know, these were lessons with like uh, the eminent classical music family of Puerto Rico. They're called the wow. Figueroa family. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
So, so yeah, so fortune, you know, right? Study. Well, that's interesting because, you know, the, of course, as you know, the piano is a percussion instrument. And I, I'm, True. I'm a pianist and I, I studied piano and I, I'm, right. I was always, you know, I had a very strict Italian classical piano teacher in Florida. But we would trade Great. records, and she would she would bring me opera, and I would bring her Oscar Peterson records, you know, and oh man, and, yeah, and Cedar Walton, <laughs> and, and and she was saying, "What's this?" You know, um, wow, it was yeah, an interesting cultural exchange. But um, I think um, who knows if I would have had that that those kind of references, I might have become more enamored with the piano. See, to me, it was like something in passing where right. I needed music, so I, I was willing to make a compromise. And and after my hour was over. I could literally, you know, close the piano cover and start experimenting with my hands on top of it, beating out rhythms. So, oh, yeah. You know? So, I'm yeah, it was like... I guess I'm interested in your musical development because the skill you have, well, first of all, the stylistic skill. So you're, you know, you're doing, you were with Tony Maria's band when in the 80s or for a period of time? In the eighties, um, yeah, yes, uh, early eighties, man. But it seems like at the same time you're doing Manhattan transfer gigs, which is you know straight yeah. it's you know hard swinging Basie, you know Count Basie charts, you know like um, they did Corner Pocket, you know. That's right. On the That's right. Band. Yeah. And I'm thinking you really got to know your stuff to you know to cross from swing to even ace to, to to these styles. So I guess I'm wondering is how you develop that to that place from you know after the piano and you know, getting those, those chops and those, um, the development, you know, there's a few, there's a, there's a few, you know, the, the, the answer, that's a multiple question, let's put it yes. that way. So the answer has a few factors to it, you know, but yeah, I, and I do agree with you. I mean, with your observations, um, Tony Maria was like early eighties and it was, I was just coming off of, uh, sort of like a sour, uh, stab at weather report you know oh, Basically, here's what here oh yeah here's what happened i i had before that i had worked with milton nascimento and uh yeah oh I worked, wow. you know i worked with milton I'm sorry, I'm yeah. so i mean to my way of thinking if you if you working with milton nascimento that means you already knew music no music that's music. I mean, already you're. But anyhow, didn't mean to. Didn't mean to. Get, I just got excited there for a minute. Go, go ahead. No, no, no. That's yeah. quite all right. I'm. I'm quite a fan. You know, and it's funny because I'm quite a fan of most of the people I work with. You know, and yeah. and I guess it, it's it's a it, it's a way of being. I guess you know I yeah. I like the people. You know, but and I'm definitely a fan of Milton, and uh, I, I caught him as he was soaring in that golden age of his. You know, right off of Club uh, um, Esquina, and, yes. and and you know, and he had a, a tremendous band with him at the time oh, that I was wow. called. And, you know, I, I say at the time that I was past the one. He, I mean, he had Nivaldo Ornelas on sax and flutes, and uh, Robertino Silva, who's my brother, and you know, from another mother. <laughs> He's on drums, and Wagner Pizzo was, was on gonna... keyboards and, and piano. I was just gonna. You, you've also played with some of the best pianists. You, I was gonna. Say, yes, I have. Yeah, I've been blessed I, in that sense. You know. I want you to talk. About, <laughs> I want you to spend a little time talking about the great Jorge Dauto, who died, who left us too soon. But before we get to Jorge Dauto, talk about Wagner Tizo because he's a hell of a, hell of a keyboard. Wagner Tizo, yeah, he's yeah. very, very interesting personality. That's right, out of Minas Gerais, and. Um, 
and uh, spent a part of his adolescence uh, intertwined, you know, socially with Milton um, as Milton was um, pursuing uh, popular music. And you know, Milton came into the, it became a pro by uh, singing in dances, you know, as yes. a crooner. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And Wagner was, was very much into the uh, classical music thing, but already uh, infiltrating um, he's like an avid student on a personal thing of yeah. uh, Villa Lobos. So, you know, he has dissected Villa Lobos in and out. As a matter of fact, I did a, I did a, I did a tour with Wagner, aside from Milton thing. Wagner got this tour with the uh, Brazilian government um, to celebrate the 100 years of Villa Lobos. And we toured all the Brazilian capitals playing Wagner's uh, renditions of uh, Heitor Villa Lobos' classics. And, and some stuff that... A little bit more obscure that, you know, I wouldn't call them like the greatest hits. But, you know, in Wagner's rearrangements, man, they, they really swung and they really like, well, you know, they, they touched people in, in very deep and, and significant ways. You know, I mean, he, it was a beautiful project, beautiful project at times with Nana Kaimi, you know, yeah. sitting in on vocals, you know, mm. and with uh, Victor Assis Brazil. On, mm-hmm. as, as well, you know, on, on piano yeah. in, in different cities. Yeah, so we that was a sweet tour all over Brazil, all the main uh-huh. capitals. Well, Great. I didn't want to get too, get us too distracted because you were going to talk about Weather Report, but I was thinking if you're with Milton Nascimento, that's pretty good. So, how, so, what, <laughs> so what was the, the thing? Were you, were you supposed to replace well, him? Well, here's the No, but here's the thing. I was with Weather Report. I was, I was coming in for uh, Rossi. Oh. And 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 it was like a forced thing, you know. I had a relationship, a friend, a friend relationship with uh, Wayne, you know. What? And we, you know, we were, yeah. yeah, we were starting to chant together, you know. Oh, that's beautiful. He's like my my sponsor, you know, in in Buddhism and stuff. So, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm I'm coming off of uh, of Milton, mm-hmm. and I intersect with actually with his wife Anna Maria, Anna Maria Shorter. Yeah. In um. In Portugal, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me just uh, decline the same <laughs> yeah. technology. Okay, I'm, I'm back here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, Anna Maria sees Milton's show yeah. and uh, knows that Weather Report is looking to replace Rossi, and so she basically gave him a heads up. And uh, then Will, um, Wayne came down to see me. Uh, working with Jimmy Smith down uh, down in uh, Southern, where was it? Uh, some festival south of LA. So he came out, came down. He saw may he saw I, the gig. May I, may I ask and then he asked me. Oh, oh. He asked me if I had eyes. If I had eyes to uh, to join his band, you know. Wow. <laughs> and I said, Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. So you were. So, but you. Mm-hmm. You were yeah, I'm sorry. Jimmy Smith. But, I gotta hear about Jimmy Smith. Just anything about that gig or that? Wow, <laughs> Jimmy Smith. Him. Dear Jimmy Smith, one salty dude, man. But he's a salty guy, and uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a comfortable relationship. It never was, right. you know. And me and me and my rock and roll hair, and he he really didn't like that. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, I was I'm good friends to this day with his nephew, uh, is uh, Tommy Campbell. Oh yeah. So, yeah, so we've done up-team tours all over the, you know, all over the planet on, with different bands, including Manhattan Transfer and sure. uh, one of my other favorite bands, uh, Ray Anderson and the Alligatory Band, yeah, with uh, Lou Solon, 
and uh yeah so you know the the, the i guess the, the hook was between tommy and me and then mm-hmm. you know you know gigs open up and you get called on references and stuff but yeah. they don't always work out and that's the thing with weather report it didn't it never really worked out you know oh. so tanya maria had called me before Wow. Actually, Wayne had called me, and then it was like right on top of, of the heels of that, Tanya calls me, and he says, you know, Frank, let's, let's go out. And I said, man, you know, it was like yesterday. I just talked to Wayne, and he wants me out there. You know, and he said, ah, sh- okay, well, I know, I can understand. Yeah, you yeah, go do what you got to do, you know. But, yeah. And a month later, I was I was talking to her, and I was like, hey, you know, and she said, you ready? You want to go? And I said, yeah, sure, you know, okay, let's go. Uh, you know, we're leaving like next Monday. No rehearsal. <laughs> Interesting. No rehearsal, no nothing, you know. Uh, I stopped by her house, you know, she said, bring bring a bongo, come by here, you know. Come, you're like, like, hey, Frank, you home? Okay, pick up a bongo and come down, you know, let's have some coffee down here, and, and, you know. So you, and, were, okay, you, so you were playing I, duets with her. I guess she was playing piano and you were... Right. Uh, that was my rehearsal. I was just having coffee with her and talking talking about the songs, and then she would, you know, get up and play something, wow. and we would do it, you know, and then, yeah, and then we're ready to go, like, two days later. And that that playing relationship lasted, what, uh, three, four years or so. Yeah. yeah, one of the culminations of that was, I think, the video that you made reference to, yeah. where we were playing, yeah, which was done in Baden-Baden, Germany. That's right. And there's an album that's called uh, The Real Tiny Maria Wild. I love that recorded. album. Yeah, that's I a good that one. That, that was is, for a Con- yeah. Concord label, her, which is her label. That, right? True. Jacob, yeah, Jacob's Concord. Label. That's right. At the time. But that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful album. So you're on that album. But I, I guess more generally, Tiny Maria is someone who has her own unique style, her own sense of melody, her own... Just totally, yeah. totally, wouldn't you say a unique identity as a singer and a musician? That's and, true. And I think yeah. that that's, that's really something. Not everybody has that. And, and so, um, what, Man, Mitch Tanya, Tanya is music. Man, she's a force of nature, man. Yeah. You know, let me tell you, Tanya um, comes from Maranhão up there, in up north in Brazil. I mean, way up there. Maranhão, uh, the capital of Maranhão, San Luis, is an island to itself. You know, Interesting. right adjacent to the to the continent, but and they're really steeped in in tradition, and they look more towards Europe than anywhere else for influence and stuff. But she came from humble beginnings, mm-hmm. so much so that that her father, well, so much so that her father would take her down to you know to bars at night, mm-hmm. and he would bet, he would place an open bet on the bar. My daughter can play anything anybody comes up with. Wow. I take anybody on. And wow. she'd have to deliver, you know? You mean and, you know, she was, or whatever things people would want to hear, you know, songs or... Whatever. Whatever's on the radio, whatever, you know, guy said, bye, you know, then maybe today the father would lose the bet. But you can be sure that they would look up and, you know, oh, yeah. she would have to come back and play some bye. Wow. You know, and, and it was like, yeah, it was like, you know, uh, these are guys with uh, machete under the under the table, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> play, play some bets on this little girl who's eight years old. That's right. Right. 
so that's that's her her intro to professional music. <laughs> well, what what can what can you say about her more generally as a musician and her songwriting? I mean, those songs are they're deceptively simple, but yet they're they've got a lot of um, there's a lot going on in them, and, and you would just basically have to learn them, I guess, when you get to sort of on the on the on the on the road. Right she, she, she during the during the period of time where we were together, um, it was like she was channeling music, you know, mm-hmm. and and it was it would happen at home, you know. We'd come off the road for a spell, and she'd come back out with some new stuff. Yep. You know, and it was just like yeah, uh, you know, wow, where where where'd this come from? You know, mm-hmm. just, I don't know, you know, just just I just started playing and like I play every day, you know. Mm-hmm. Zawino is the same thing. I mean, Zawino made a point of playing, you know, all every afternoon and taped everything, every single thing, every single note. Hmm. He taped it, and then you know he would like review and stuff. You know, in the morning he would do his physical fitness things. Yes. And, and yeah, and uh, in the afternoon, that was uh, dedicated to just like like you know, opening the channel, and just That's slowing down. He had he had an assistant with reel to reel tapes. I remember know. that. Actually, there's a there's a wonderful. Have you seen that documentary on Zamino? Uh, his his creative process in that time. I think when he's making, I think it's a, he's making the Sporting Life album, right? And he has a reel to reel. Okay. And it's sort of that documentary okay. documents. <laughs> yeah. so it documents the very thing you're yeah. talking about. He's a very smart man because he, he knows he's got to get it recorded so he won't lose it. And that's right. He's gotta, yeah. yeah, it's very intelligent. Oh, he's very smart. Very smart. Yeah, he learned to box because mile box. Oh, interesting. And yeah, so you know he scoped that out and he said, you know, I, this is this, there's some value in this too, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he, he basically, you know, he got good and he kept it up throughout, you know, his entire life, the rest of his life. And um, that kept him fit, that kept him strong, and that kept him mean, you know. Hmm. It kept him, you know, authoritative, you know. Yeah. He had, there was the vibe in the band that, you know, if it comes to this, I mean, you know, if it comes to blows, I can deal, you know. Wow. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, he had the lion's voice in, hmm. in, in the association, you know. Well, I'm wondering so, about particular percussion instruments because there's the, in the that excerpt of Uzina, you, you, you know, playing some very interesting. Are we talking about the quika? Well, you may want to be, may want to talk to the audience about some of these these instruments only because the audience might not even know about them or, or what you know you know just a little bit because it's sure, how, sure. how you came to learn them and master them. Uh, yeah, I guess. Wow. Yeah, life takes so many different interesting turns. Um, uh, I'm I'm in Washington D.C. Uh, after after uh, being raised in Puerto Rico, I returned to Washington D.C. to go to American University mm-hmm. um, to major in political science. Hmm. I was deeply into yeah into every you know politics and stuff, and uh, yeah. I come from a family who was you know into that as well. My uncle was was. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a candidate for governor of Puerto Rico under the authentic sovereign socialist party. Yes, yes. Which he which he which he created. He founded. And wow. He founded that. Yeah. yeah, him and the buddy of his, the authentic sovereign socialist, socialist. Uh, party of Puerto Rico. Right, for which he got his house uh, uh, machine guns more than once. 
and he he had to yeah he was a lawyer and uh, sort of like a Puerto Rican Jimmy Hoffa, you know. Yeah. And uh, oh, you yeah. you yourself been involved in Puerto Rican independence and, and, and throughout your life is that an important uh, during you know coming up in high school yeah I was and you know I had this influence from my uncle my father wasn't into this at all I mean my father was uh, totally pro America and everything but at the time you know uh, youth is rebel as well you know and mm-hmm. most most likely so yeah I, I entertained these ideas of, of yes. socialism and yeah. and studied it and stuff and found out you know that uh, hey it doesn't really work you know uh-huh. so. Yeah. So yeah, as an as an adolescent, yeah, I definitely was involved in marches and, and mm-hmm. you know, and in the states as well. You know, against Vietnam and got tear gas in Washington, and uh, you know, all student body in D.C. in 1970. Yeah. The end of of the the war. Everybody was was conscious, you know, conscious and involved. So I was one of them for sure. And I, you know, I sort of had the baggage, you know to to know a little bit more about what we're really doing going for you know yeah at least at least in principle and theory yeah well if, if you want to talk so. about a partic- particular instrument so you have you made a video today that's beautiful about working with Ayerto and you, you were talking about this instrument uh, that is the that instrument that I'm talking in that video uh, video is the Birenbau. and okay the Birimbao, yeah, it's it's uh, for people who are listening. It's like picture uh, a primitive bow and arrow, and then basically you attach a gourd down close to the bottom. There's uh, you leave about a, a foot before the bottom of the bow, and you attach a gourd to it, where it bends the wire and therefore gives you a tone on top and the bottom. And you hold it in such a way so that you can actually um, beat the long part of the string or the wire, basically. Not basically, but yeah, it has to be a wire. Mm-hmm. And therefore extract the tone. And what you have is an amplification system with this hollowed out gourd that presses against your body. And mm-hmm. as you move it back and forth, you can amplify it or muffle it and change the tone. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Birenbao. Its origin is African. That's right. The origin is African, but it was brought over to Brazil, and here it was uh, really developed into an art and married with a martial art, a Brazilian martial art. It's called capoeira, uh-huh. uh, and it happened in a, a very socially deliberate way because um, uh, back when the imported black people were not free, they could not freely. Um, practice martial arts. So mm-hmm. what they did was they married their their martial art moves to the sound and the rhythms of the Birimbao. And if you looked from afar, it looked like they were having like a social gathering and people were like yeah. dancing in the middle of a circle. Yeah. But these cats were, were actually practicing, practicing their moves mm-hmm. and or settling scores between themselves. Wow. See? Yeah. So, and then again, when the landowners, you know, and the authorities got wind of what was going on, uh, the the art of capoeira was was like, uh, you know, it was like illegal, and uh, so was the instrument. 
you know? um, and anybody caught like with, like with an instrument, you know, it's like what happens with nunchucks in New York City. You have a nunchuck that is tied together. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse. You're you're under arrest. Mm-hmm. You know, and and in the sense of the beer and bow, if you got a beer and bow in your ha- in your house hanging somewhere, you know, and ah, you know, it's illegal. You're you're off to prison. Off to uh, ship, shipped off to Trinidadji Island out in the middle of the South Atlantic. Jeez. Everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah. Well, that's that's um, that's really that's really a drag. I mean, I I sort of but you yeah. this is but we're getting into your other career because you are a martial artist, right? Well, you became a martial yes, artist. I am actually. So I became a martial artist, uh, you know, throughout my lifetime. I mean, I've done martial arts for I don't know fifty years. Fifty years is a long time. Do you want to devote a little time here talking about how you got into that or became you know uh, was it through the percussion uh, percussion instruments or was it? Um, Actually, no. I, I think, you know, those early karate movies and Bruce Lee and all that, you know, okay. it just fired up the passion inside. And uh, I always pursued it, you know, okay. in Puerto Rico. I, I well, you know, I, I, I was sort of like, I guess you could call me a little punk as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I was scrappy. And um, and uh, soon my parents and, and uh, you know, the school authorities thought it prudent to direct this into something more constructive, you know, and, uh, you know, something that could also afford me a little more discipline, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so the Eastern martial arts, definitely, you know, you know, you get those qualities from that, from judo, from jiu-jitsu, and, mm-hmm. and from karate. You know, there's there's a reverence with, you know, the master, and there's a reverence with the place of training, and, and there is a sense of discipline that is imposed and that one acquires you know, for one's own development. So, yeah, it did work, and it, it also helped me to fight better on the street. So, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I was I down with that, you know. Ask you how you negotiate doing the martial arts and the music career. It must have been somewhat uh, fitting it all in there, you, your system that you developed uh, uh, to do that, to do both or to pursue both. Well, I, I just, I just, you know, I have this this tendency of uh, practicing everything that I learn every day. Yeah. See. Yeah. So it's not that I'm out on tour that I uh, don't you know I, I don't relate to martial arts anymore. I basically you know I've incorporated into a, a daily thing where I just yes. I just have you know a bunch of routines and, and rituals that I do on a daily basis, and basically that that fuels uh, my creativity and and. Hmm. And helps keep me solid, you know, yep. just as a person. So, you know, martial arts is that. I mean, uh, I became one of the pioneers in Krav Maga, the Israeli system hmm. of, of martial arts. It's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's pure self-defense. There's no uh, oriental morality about it at all. It was developed on the field of combat. Mm. And it's it's a very concise and very how um, condensed system that borrows from uh, many other systems. It borrows from boxing. It borrows from interesting from 
Yeah, he borrowed from karate and, and he borrowed some taekwondo and he borrowed from jiu-jitsu and, and it has uh, arm locks from Aikido. And, and, but it, it has a mindset that is very, very different from most everything oriental. And it's the other way around. It's not a reaction kind of thing. It's a uh, proactive system. Yeah. Well, it's, if you... If, such a, if that is your... Especially not self-defense. It's, it's an attack system to keep oh, you wow. safe. Yeah. Well, and then I, I, I'm, I'm deeply mm-hmm. still in love with the, the total other side of the spectrum, which is Tai Chi Chuan. Okay. Which is the softest, the most gentle thing that, that you can practice. And still be deadly with, and uh, and it, it's a moving meditation of sorts, and that, that's where I am with it now. Um, you know, in terms of uh, fighting skill, I, I'm really not pursuing anything new. Mm-hmm. I maintain what I have from from Krav Maga as, as a second degree black belt, and um, and uh, I'm trying to get in deeper and deeper levels of, of oh. Tai Chi Chuan as moving meditation. So I, I guess what you're saying is that it's all united. It's all of a, you know, being a musician and being. Uh, I look at it as such. Yeah, I look no, at it so, as such. So I, it's united to. I think you're an athlete. I would say you're an a martial artist and an athlete, uh, as well as a musician, and, and and it's all for you integrated. It sounds like. You know, Mitch, when I, when uh, you know younger, I mean, 25 years ago, I definitely viewed my my uh, percussion performance as as an athlete would you know i would you know i would warm up i wouldn't eat before performance you know i'd I'd have all these things in you know my day would be in function of you know that that ultimate race at eight o'clock you know yeah kind of thing and everything was you know everything i did was in in, for that for that performance as an athlete now you know I'm, I'm you know I'm in a different phase of life now. Interesting. Um, composing composing a lot more. That's and uh, that's good. yeah I, I very much like working from my house on the uh, Emerald Coast here where I'm talking to you now. Looking out across the bay, I see the Big Island here, mm. uh, and I wake up to the uh, birds in the morning and no traffic. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, life has its phases and uh, yeah. But, but this is something I always, we always, um, me and my wife always like had this focus, you know, Beautiful. at this point in our life, this is where we want to be. You know, well, it's, it's, it's so great that technology is now, you know, providing this, this great opportunity for you and I to be talking it's beautiful. where you are and, 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 you know, and I'm here in Brazil, you know, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I wanted to, you know, I'm not related to that. I mean, I know that you, uh, talked about working with Ayerto now Ayerto is the great uh, drummers, percussionists of, of all time. I mean, just really something. What uh, what comes to your mind about what inspired you work, actually getting to work with him and what he taught you or anything about music or life or uh, uh, if you don't mind for just a minute before we get going to something else because he... My pleasure. Listen, Ayrton was a game changer. Uh, you know, uh, as soon as I... As soon as I really listened to what he was bringing in, up until then, I had basically focused on Mongo Santa Maria. Uh, okay. yeah, I, wanted to, I wanted to play congas at the level of Mongo Santa Maria. Mm-hmm. So I was actually famous in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. As, as the guy who knew all of Mongo's solos, note for note, on any single record that you might want to bring up. That's I cool. had them all. 
I had the record collection at home, yep. you know, and and I made it my mission, you know, to to uh, you know transcribe and learn everything he did, mm-hmm. note for note. When Ayuso came on, he showed me a whole different palette of colors, you know, and he basically unlocked, opened this, this other dimension, you know, where um, it, it's not to say that anything was valid, but it, mm-hmm. it, it just, the, the palette was so much richer, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, of textures and, and temperature and color and, you know, and all this way that you can enrich and and and, and also solidify the platform. You know, very like you know subtly and or overtly. It was like a whole different thing. It was a game changer. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I you know I was lucky to be married to a Brazilian who also was connected to a whole bunch of musicians who were. Not only in Brazil, but also like you know, um, in in New York and in Los Angeles. Okay. And it was through it was through this network of connections that right. we finally got Ayrton and I got together. You know, and I was a curious specimen to him because I was this guy coming from the Caribbean mm-hmm. who already who already played Brazilian percussion. Yeah. You know. At a level to make his eyes open. That's right. And and he yep. was like, where, you know, I mean, where is this coming from? I mean, they don't have this in Puerto Rico. Who'd you learn from? And to tell you the truth, uh, I'm basically self-taught. You know, mm-hmm. I I figured it out yep. painstakingly yep. on my own. You know, and then uh, as soon as I get to somebody who knew something, you know, yeah. it, it you know it reminds me of that old African saying. Um, in the land of the in the land of the blind, mm-hmm. the guy with one eye is the king, of course. Mm-hmm. That's true. So as, as you know, I, I I would go to the Smithsonian and and pour through through microfilms for hours. I mean, until they kicked me out, you know. And I would be back there the next day, just look, you know, looking for archive recordings, you know, of Brazil and Cuba, you know, because I was deeply into into looking into bata drumming as well. Yeah. So, you know, I was already like uh, going going to the Library of Congress for uh, my pre law and and oh, political science stuff. So, you know, I just branch out on my own hours and and dig into this. It's so amazing to me that you're studying pre law political science, but you have this hunger, this this the, um, I would call it a calling, and you're studying this music, and you said, "This is what I want to do." And not only do you, not only do you learn it, you learn every solo of Mongo Santa Maria. Then you get with the very best people, and you're working with Ayerto, and um, I think that's really quite quite extraordinary journey. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about a great piano player, Jorge Dalto, who I think is Jorge Dalto, yeah, yeah, underrated and undersung, and one of the greats. And I know that he was working a lot with George Benson, but you, when did you first play with him or get get to um, be able to to be on the stage with him? Or, we jammed uh, in New York City ah. at, at various places, um, and including After Hours. And he had this band called the Inter-American Band. That's right. And it had Mario Rivera on saxophone, and um, and uh, I think it was Sal Cuevas on bass at times, and, mm-hmm. or Lincoln Goins was, was just wow. getting to New York, and I think mm-hmm. he, he was also, you know, he got a taste of that. And um, and uh, besides uh, George Benson, 
he didn't really branch out into salsa, you know, that much. It was like, you know, Mario had this group called the Salsa Renegades. Okay. So and and they were basically they were like on the edge, on the periphery, you know, because mm-hmm. they didn't want to do anything commercial. And what right. they were doing wasn't really understood at the time, you know. Interesting. Because they were they were stretching they were stretching boundaries and stuff. That's right. And, and mixing elements, and uh, but he he brought this mastery of, of Argentinian, uh, you know, harmony and everything that they were just swept everybody away. And he had this this sense of beat also that was very ahead, very modern, you know, and ahead. So um, the the only project that we were actually pulled into again by Ayrton was that uh, the the Sama um, de Flora. That's right. That album. That album, which was an offshoot of the Aquí Se Puede, which was being produced by Frank Ferrer from Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. being produced in Puerto Rico and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, yeah, it was a shame. He he was around for a, a short while, yes. and as as you see, he definitely has still you know he's left his mark. Yeah, he did. It's um. One of the things I like about him is that I like him, of course, I like him as a pianist, but I actually like the fact that he was unafraid to do popular things or to use popular elements. I appreciate that. He, right. You know, he yeah. would actually put out albums that had kind of a commercial feeling about them, you know, uh-huh. but yeah. they were good. What I mean is that the quality was on such a high level. And he, he, I think, you know, I don't didn't know him, but. Sounds like he was not afraid of any style. He would try anything. I, I feel like a little bit. He was his own man, you know. He, yeah. yeah, basically, yeah. He, you know, um, Tito Puente admired him a lot, but they didn't always get get along together, personality-wise. You know, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, you know, it was such an interesting time there. But uh, they had the soundscape, and there was like a New Rican Village. That's right. And the, even SOBs, I mean, they, they had, yeah. you know, uh, with the exception of the weekends, during the week there was some cutting-edge stuff happening there, you know. And, uh, yeah, very interesting times. What about some of your projects um, involving more sort of very commercially successful groups and people? Because you've done a number of those. Like, what comes to mind is Harry Belafonte. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm just wondering if, when you do a project like that. I guess I, I guess I'm wondering. It's I, I take it that for you, it's all music. It's all is it's all united. It's just a matter of different what's required of the situation. But um, if we're if we're mentioning, that's true. Mm-hmm, what what is you? That's true. Yeah. It's all music, and um, uh, how do you say? Uh, it, Harry Belafonte is like a school that you, that you go through. Oh, you know, as, as you as you get at a certain level, basically you are then a, a candidate. You know, and it's basically it, it's like, is there an opening for the band? Because if you're at a certain level, um, it was sort of you slow you slid in there and, and did your time. You know. Mm-hmm. There's even a site dedicated to the musicians of Harry Belafonte's band, and I think it's enormous. I think I don't know. It's like 300 people have been yeah. to, you know, have performed with him at, at one point or another, and mm-hmm. he launched some careers, uh, um, you know. Uh, but 
I, I got called. Interesting. I, I was referred to by Michael Wolf, who referred uh-huh. me to somebody else. Yeah, who then referred me to Harry. But that was the second time. The first time it was a uh, percussionist, Steve Thornton. He, he tried to, because Harry was, uh, he was very partial to using two percussions. Wasn't, and he wasn't did so Mike, for. Uh, wasn't uh, Mike Wolf Arsenio Hall's music musical director? Am I right about that? For a period of time. Yes, you're right. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Another, another great LA session musician, uh, Mike Wolf. He, you, but you're doing stuff with him now. But anyhow, not to get. So you're saying it was the connection, I guess, through, through him. It was. It was. Yeah, through Mike Wolf and through this, this person called John Cartwright. Mm-hmm. And John Cartwright uh, operated for many, many, many years as a uh, road manager, mm-hmm. kind of personal assistant to, to Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. So it was basically a thing of, look, uh, Harry's looking for a second percussionist. Um, mm-hmm. Can you do these dates? And I yeah. said, yeah, as a matter of fact, why don't you, okay, so can you make this rehearsal? And, you know, Harry just wants to see, you know, he just wants you to, you know, he wants you to work with, you know, play with the band and, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, so I said, okay, you want me to audition? Fine. You know, so I came in and yeah, it was cool. You know, it was like one, two, three. Okay. You're fine. They gave me an itinerary. We settled on, on salary and I was out with him for like two years. Wow. But let me tell you a story. Back in 1978, here comes, uh, <laughs> here comes Stevie Thornton, a good friend of mine, great percussionist. That's right. And he said, man, you know, Hey, you know, uh, who was it? I think, uh, well, I forget the name, but he just left and uh, I told Harry about you and I had been in the city for like two years. Uh, I basically just were strictly working with Julito Collazo uh-huh. in the underground underground Cuban folkloric circuit. Interesting. And that's what I moved to New York to do. And wow. that's what I was doing. So uh, it was a circuit that most of the uh, Latin percussionists they they you know they frothed at the mouth to be able to like get, go to the sessions you know yeah you had to know where it was it was like really secret kind of thing at the time and unless you were taken by somebody who was already in that you know it was like you know, it wasn't like an open thing it wasn't a show you know it was yeah we dealing with people's spirituality mm-hmm. so but. This was like drummers would congregate, man. Just, just to, you know, to hear and see, you know, this thing happening. And uh, Julito had pulled me up to New York from Washington because I had been apprenticing him with him for uh, about a year or so. Mm. And he said, "Hey, hey, man, you know, I, you're ready to, uh, you know, at an entry level, you're ready." Um, and I said, "I'm ready to move." Mm. He says, "Well, listen, uh, there's an apartment in my building. Should I?" Talked to the super, and I said, yeah, talk to him. And that was on a Sunday. So, you know, I, I had gone up to participate in one of these events. He called me up, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I drove, driven off, drove up in the morning, and I, you know, came back down. So the next day he calls me and says, yeah, yeah, I got to the apartment. When are you moving? Mm-hmm. Well, that was on a Monday. I moved on Wednesday mm-hmm. I, with, with my wife, my cat, and all my drums, Everything we all we owned in a Carmen Ghia, and we moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And I had been just working with with Julito for two years when this came up, mm-hmm. and um, and so I went to the to the uh, <laughs> to the audition, wow. and this is 1978. Yep. 
And yeah, Harry, yes, that's cool, everything, you know. And then what happened? I just did like a flip on the shakeray, and it was like, like startled him, you know. Mm-hmm. And I could tell in his face that that was it. You know, he changed his demeanor and said, uh, "Okay, well, we've had enough. Um, listen, uh, okay, get your things ready. We're going to send you a ticket." And uh, get ready, you know, we're leaving next week. Wow. I never heard from him. I never heard from him till 1980, what was it? 1997. 97. Yeah, this, was, so, this happened in 1978. So, so 78, you were almost going to have this gig, and then it came through only in 97. But it, That's right. But it did happen. It just took a while. But what, what, do, what do you make of that, that time frame there? What's your... What's your um, what I make of it is that I, I I overplayed my audition. Huh. Interesting. At the last moment, I overplayed my audition, and he didn't go for it, and that was it. Okay. Yeah. While we're on the road, yeah, he was that, that kind of a thing. I mean, he, he was very detailed and, you know, super pro, but he was, like, difficult. He was a very difficult personality. And, Interesting. And, you know, for... We're on the road somewhere out in Europe, and, and some company comes to me, and they give me a pair of sticks, and the sticks are like uh, luminescent, mm-hmm. right? So, so the next day, a uh, sound check, I whip them out, and we do one tune, da-da. okay, mm-hmm. we finish the tune, but he immediately turns around and says, you, Frank, uh, are you playing sticks with lights? And I said, yeah. Okay. And he says, he says, don't. Mm. And he turns around. Yeah. And that's it. You know? Yeah. He, he was that kind of a personality. Right. And all the solos, all it was like working in, in, a, in a... See, he, he carried his band like it was a Broadway show. It was a theater theater um, company. Right, right. And as such, as such, hey, uh, every single solo, every single guitar solo, every single keyboard, every single solo, whatever, mm-hmm. is rehearsed, is rehearsed to the max and it must be performed. It must be performed note for note as it is approved. I see, yeah. Yeah, if you change a solo, you can be in Timbuktu performing. You change the notes of a solo, you can bet your bottom dollar. Next day, there will be a full company rehearsal as a sound check and then a full company rehearsal. Hmm. And then you will do a show. Yeah. Well, that, was that kind of thing. Was that the case in 97 still? Is it, is it kind of um, still the... Yeah, actually it was. It was. And sadly to say, um, you know, I actually... He and I had it out with the musicians' unit because um, I, I thought it was a, a bit of an abuse, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, um, to have sound checks over and over and over, mm-hmm. which would last two hours. There were shows; mm-hmm. it was like run through shows, and then yeah, bite to eat, and then do it again, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is every day on the road, mm-hmm. every single day. So I found it abusive and actually called him on it, mm-hmm. and uh, and I got fired for it, and you know. So, well, that's yeah, very, but, you know, very cool. that's very interesting because I think you know, hearing this, I hear your birds are beautiful. I love where you you were talking about the birds. I can hear them in the background there, where you are. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can hear that you're in a beautiful place. Um, 
I, I think part of it comes down to style, right? If you're doing every, if you're doing a project that everything has to be composed, there's no improvisation, and it's very rigid. That's a that's a certain kind of project, right? That's a kind of a that's a absolutely yeah absolutely it is yeah, yeah. you you it's almost like um well you you playing what the people are paying to hear they want to hear that exact thing that they have on their record at home yeah. And Harry, in his case, he delivers. You know, he yeah. does not decept. You know, there's no deception as far as that. Right. He delivers. You know, he gives them what exactly what they want to hear. Right. You know. And, uh, and then you have other other jobs which are totally improvisational. That's right. And, it's yeah, so and that's a whole different world. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that so. there's differences in a way. Harry Belafonte is a little bit like playing the violin, almost as if he had stuck with the violin. It's like being in a in a in a, in a classical section. music kind of thing, section. right? Yeah, so it's so it's funny. It's come full circle in a way. You're doing, you did you did a project that was similar to what what your parents thought. You know, I don't know. It's interesting how interesting how the <laughs> journey of life and how you know how musical and artistic style is always an, always um, important. You know, is always uh, central to what people are trying to do. So. Yeah, they're the, the different kind of artists, aren't they, Mitch? I mean, the the artists who who are intent on destroying what they have created before because mm-hmm. they just can't they just can't seem to look back. You know, they have right. to compulsively be looking forward and That's stuff. Right. Um, you know, uh, Gato Barbieri was one of those like that. Wayne Shorter is, is like that as yeah. well. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there are other people who are perfectionists to the point of, you know, no, it, this is the way it has to be, mm-hmm. and this is what the people like, and this is what I will give them. This is what you will play. You know, this is what we all have to play here. This is it. You know, uh, and you get everything in between, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with, with, with Ray Anderson and his band, oh. uh, uh, Gregory Jones on bass, uh, Lou Sola, uh, Tommy Campbell on drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Gre- Jerome Harris, not on bass, on guitar. Oh, interesting. And, very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Ray, Ray would be he would be writing new songs as we're taking the train from one city to another. <laughs> yeah. But you know, and okay, guys, this is where we're playing tonight. You know, and he was like, yeah, but it's a basic roadmap. Okay, so right, do not play exactly as it is on the page. I mean, you know, right. we're all together on this, you know? And, mm-hmm. and therefore it was, it was totally open. You know, it was like some great hooks, but in between, I mean, you, if you decide to go left, the band was there with you, left. Right. you know? Yeah. Everybody was there to support, you know, and it was great. It was a great musical experience. Yeah. You know? Gato Barbieri was another, like, uh, I guess, uh, a tradition terrorist or something because, mm-hmm. Have you seen that movie by Fernando Trueba called Calle 54, Calle 54? I love that film. Yeah, I was right? going to ask you before we finished about that film because I know it, can't, it would come up eventually. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it has to come up. We've been talking about Gato. And yeah. Here's the here's thing. Um, uh, we are the band that took the less time to record their participation in that movie. Hmm. We did. We did strictly one take. Wow. Now let me let me give you some inside scoop on this. Yep. Check this out. Gato he calls us for a gig on such and such a date. 
Mm-hmm. He says, okay, where's it going to be? It's going to be on this street. Mm-hmm. It's going to be on the calle 54. That's all he says. And he packs us up and, and, and leaves. Yeah. Right? And he's like, okay, 54. What, what is there? You know, anybody know of a club there? No, there ain't nothing there. You know, what are talking about? Oh, there's the Sony Studios there. Yeah, okay. So I guess I guess that's it. So, you know, we go like you know and talk to to the roadie and says, yeah, yeah, we're taking everything to the Sony Studios. Yeah. Okay, fine. Okay, so what's time? Okay, everybody meets. Uh, no rehearsal. What are we playing? We, I mean, we're coming off the road, right? Right. We're hot. On, we're hot on the, on on performance repertoire. Mm-hmm. He calls a song that we haven't played, that I haven't played mm-hmm. in maybe like six or seven years. Yeah. And nobody in this band configuration has ever played together. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, we're going to play this right now. Okay. So Fernando Treva, the director, he says, okay, we're setting up lights and guys, let's do a pass mm-hmm. so we can, you know, set the cameras. We do the pass. We mm-hmm. come inside, listen, look. And Gato says, uh, and then Fernando says, okay, let's go out and do it. We've got everything set. Gato mm-hmm. starts taking apart his saxophone and says, no, that's it. It's done. And he puts away his sax and walks out. Yeah. And that was that. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, it. I'm glad you told that story because that's a, we're getting ready to, to conclude our show. And that's a great um, closer, I think, uh, I can't think of a better Gato Barbieri. A lot of people now. You would say the people watching that movie wouldn't know that, right? They just enjoy. I I don't think they would know that because uh, again, the caliber of of the musicianship is like superb. That's right. And I mean, like like I said, we're coming off the road. That's you know, we're fresh off the road, so we're we're all tuned into each other, and it works because of that, you know. But Mark Soskin had never even heard about this song before, and he's on piano. Mark Soskin was in that band. Mark uh, Soskin is in that configuration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. That's right. Robbie Gonzalez on drums, uh, um, with Mario Rodriguez on bass, myself on percussion, and there you got Gato in the front, man. Gato, man, he was just, he was amazing. He's <laughs> just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, is this Hey, man, Mitch. Uh, is there Mitch, I just wanted to thank you. I just wanted to thank you, you know, for for having me on the program. Yes. I was look, I was listening to some some, and reading a lot of of your stuff over the weekend. Oh. and uh, it's okay. it's an honor to be here with you. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Is there anything you want to say to the audience before we go, and uh, any about anything that comes to your mind, uh, important to you? Uh... Well, uh, what's important is that uh, that artists continue to create. And uh, no matter what's going on in the world or in society, that's our mission, you know, to create and, uh, you know, and to open the, the world's eyes to a different point of view mm-hmm. um, within, within that, that uh, thought. Um, I have uh, a recent project out, which is called Latin Lounge. Latin. And you can find that Latin Lounge on all digital uh, platforms. Um, and uh, I'm soon to release some new music, so stay tuned. Well, thank you. And I'll definitely get that Latin Lounge, and I hope the audience does as well. And thanks for being on our show, Frank. Mitch, I'll send it to you. Uh, send, me, send me an address, and I'll, I'll forward it to you. All right? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Mitch. Okay. Take care. Mm-hmm. I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you. Mm-hmm.